Welcome to Eye on the Triangle with Sesha Hindi, a weekly glimpse into our community, bringing you news from the brickyard to your backyard. This week in news on Eye on the Triangle, a brief rundown of the latest news. Today is Monday, November 30th. I'm Evan Garrett. And I'm Jack Boyer with Eye on the Triangle News. The New York Times is following breaking news out of Washington where President Obama has announced his intent to expand the conflict in Afghanistan. The president's decision, heavily anticipated in recent weeks, will be formally presented to the American public via a national address Tuesday evening. Press Secretary Robert Gibbs said today that the president will outline his plan to commit 30,000 additional troops as well as define how the conflict will be funded. Gibbs added that the president does not see the conflict as open-ended and will make clear on Tuesday that he has an exit strategy. President Obama has reportedly already issued the orders for the increase, remaining in close contact with world leaders to secure their support. All four major broadcast networks are expected to carry the speech tomorrow night at 8. The Senate began debating the health care bill today, according to CNN, and that could go on for at least four weeks. Despite overcoming the Republican filibuster threat, the debate started off with numerous procedural procedural objections by the GOP. The 2,000-page bill will cost nearly $1 trillion, but reduce the federal deficit by $130 billion over the next 10 years, according to the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office. The Senate version of the bill would do this by paring down on Medicare and raising taxes on pharmaceuticals and those with expensive insurance policies. It could still be months before a finalized bill reaches President Obama. Here's Evan with World News. Thanks, John. Al Jazeera is following a developing story in Iran where the country has announced its plans to construct 10 additional nuclear enrichment facilities. The head of Iran's atomic energy organization, Ali Akbar Salehi, said the move was prompted by International Atomic Energy Agency's decisions to, to censure Iran after its unwillingness to comply with international regulations. France's foreign minister touted this development as childish and unwise and threatened sanctions if Iran will not cooperate. According to the BBC, voters in Switzerland have backed a controversial referendum banning minarets. The move was backed by the conservative Swiss People's Party, which claims that minarets are a sign of the country's impending Islamification. 57% of the voters favor the ban. However, the Swiss government and international religious groups have announced their strong opposition. Immigration and cultural assimilation are hot-button issues in Switzerland, where approximately 400,000 Muslims reside. It is worth noting that there are only four such minarets in the country, none of which broadcast azans or the traditional calls to prayer. The financial health of Dubai has been called into question after the government refused to guarantee the debt of financial conglomerate Dubai World, according to France 24. This announcement caused stock markets in the United Arab Emirates to nosedive today, with Abu Dhabi receiving a rec- er, seeing a record 8.3% fall. Head of the Dubai Department of Finance, Abdul Rahman Al Saleh, issued a statement today making clear that the government was not responsible for the $60 billion debt accrued by the company. Dubai's total debt stands at around 80 billion U.S. dollars. In other economic news, the Dow Jones finished up at 30, finished up 34 points today, closing at 10,344, closing out November with a 5% gain, with the other indices rising as well. Those concerns about Dubai's solvency already led to a 155-point drop on Friday, according to CNBC. Black Friday sales met retailers' expectations with a half percent gain from 2008, but the National Retail Federation does not anticipate holiday sales to meet last year's numbers. The unemployment report for November will come out on Friday. Here are more local stories with Jack. 
As we speak, Raleigh Mayor Charles Meeker is being sworn in for a fifth two-year term, as is the rest of City Council at the Raleigh Convention Center, according to the News and Observer. Council welcomes two new members, Bonner Gaylord, manager of North Hills Mall, and John Odom, a former council member. Meeker's goals include a public safety building and improving transportation. Former Chancellor James Oblinger, who resigned amidst the Mary Easley scandal earlier this summer, will not become the next president of New Mexico State University. WRAL reports that he was a finalist in the selection process, but lost to the chancellor of the University of Nebraska, possibly due to concerns over his handling of the Easley situation. New laws will go into effect tomorrow, according to WRAL, one of which is a ban on texting while driving for all drivers with a $100 penalty. Tougher regulations for the owners of large reptiles, snakes, and crocodiles could mean misdemeanor penalties in the event of an attack. Also debuting tomorrow, Time Warner Cable will officially launch the 4G mobile network for Raleigh-Durham, says Triangle Business Journal. 4G is touted as bringing DSL-like speeds for mobile devices. Sprint already began coverage here on November 2nd, but Verizon and AT&T aren't planning on adding service for Raleigh until sometime next year. On this day in 1993, President Clinton signed the Brady Handgun Violence Prevention Act into law. And in 1999, large protests surrounded the World Trade Organization meeting in Seattle, Washington. Happy birthday, or birthday shout-outs go to American Idol star Clay Aiken, NC Senator Richard Burr, Winston Churchill, and everyone's favorite, Mark Twain. In weather, scattered showers are in the forecast tonight with skies clearing after midnight, lows in the upper 30s, and breezy northwesterly winds. Mostly sunny tomorrow, afternoon temperatures top out around 60. Clouds increase Tuesday night, lows once again around 40. Rain could be heavy at times on Wednesday with highs around 60. Rain and thunderstorms, some severe for Wednesday night with lows in the mid-50s. Sunshine returns for Thursday and Friday with highs both days around 60. Right Right now we've got clouds and some rain in the triangle. The temperature is 52. In traffic, watch out for some slow-going eastbound on 40 before the Wade Avenue split and on northbound 401 before the Beltline in South Raleigh. Today, November 30th, also marks the last day of an underwhelming hurricane season. Nine named storms formed with only two major hurricanes, both of which stayed in the open ocean, according to Weather Underground's Dr. Jeff Masters. The below number... The below-normal numbers are due to the effects of an El Nino pattern over the Pacific Ocean. Two tropical storms made landfall in the U.S. Claudette and Ida both came ashore along the Gulf Coast. Only four deaths are blamed on the storms, the lowest since 1997. It has now been four years since a hurricane hit the U.S. East Coast, the longest stretch since the early 1980s. But weather forecasters cautiously anticipate more activity next year. The time is 7.10. That's it for the news. Now follows our new 30-second commentary with Evan Garris. The views expressed are not necessarily those of this program, WKNC, or NCSU. We made the decision not to cover two stories that have dominated national news this past weekend as not to lend credence to either. A couple of devious socialites that shall remain unnamed that crashed Obama's state dinner and a certain golf star's domestic dispute. Sometimes it seems as if there is simply too much going on in this world and it's perhaps that's why the news is cluttered with such non-stories as these. The truth is out there, and but we'd rather not hear it. This is a malaise we often sympathize with but have the opportunity and responsibility to overcome while behind the microphones here at WKNC. That's the way we see it, and here's sports as Eye on the Triangle continues. What's up, guys? This is Derek Medlin. We're back with you after a week off. I uh, hope everybody enjoyed their Thanksgiving. We're going to get into a little sports here. Uh, we're going to start. I know everybody wants to talk about football. We're going to talk about it, believe me. Um, but we're going to start with basketball. Uh, Coop is back with us this week. Coop, tell us a little, bit about the, uh, a little bit about the basketball game this week. All right. Well, the men's basketball team beat New Orleans 69-52 to go 5-0 and on the season. 
Uh, Javi Gonzalez had another good game. He had 13 points and 8 assists. The defense really was the key to the game, though. They had 12 blocks as a team, and New Orleans only shot 34.9% from the field. Um, Some good news, freshman Richard Howell did play for the first time this season. He's been um, out with an injury, but he came in and had two points on uh, free throws. But um, the team looked good again and uh, got off to a good start here, 5-0, and now they'll face Northwestern in the ACC Big Ten Challenge on Tuesday night at 7 o'clock at the RBC Center. That game will be on ESPNU. All right, now on to the topic everybody wants to talk about. Uh, obviously, the the football season didn't end up maybe the way it was uh, planned or what people had hoped as far as the record goes, but on Saturday, NC State got a huge win, uh, took some of the sting off the season, beat uh, the uh, – in-state rival North Carolina for the third straight year uh, in comeback fashion this year. We didn't we didn't beat them forty-one to ten this year like uh, like last year in Chapel Hill, but uh, came back got a twenty-eight twenty-seven victory. Um, NC State was down ten points twenty-four to fourteen at halftime. Really played well in the second half. Came back and got a big victory for Coach Tom O'Brien and and the seniors on the team and and all the fans in Carter Finley who have kind of suffered through this season uh, along with the team. Um, just a couple high, highlights on the stats. Russell Wilson uh, finished off an unbelievably good season. Uh, he threw for 259 yards and four touchdowns on Saturday. Didn't turn the ball didn't turn the ball over at all. Um, two wide receivers for NC State, uh, Jarvis Williams and Owen Spencer, both had big games again. They both had two touchdowns. Um, you know, it, obviously five and seven isn't where the NC State football team wants to be, but uh, to beat Carolina like that uh, is always a good thing. Tyler, um, I know you were there. Tell me a little bit, uh, what do you think was the key to the game? Yeah, well, you just highlighted the offense, and that's something a lot of people are going to look to. But I thought uh, in shocking shocking news, the defense actually kind of saved the day. It was really a huge part of the win. Um, Carolina was up 24-14 at the half. Um, they're not a great offense, but they came up with a number of big plays in the first half, and those big plays weren't there in the second half. Not only were the big plays not there, that Carolina oftentimes couldn't get out of their own backfield in the second half. A number of big tackles for big-time losses, I believe Willie Young – threw one of their either a tailback or a receiver on an end around or a reverse one for about a 12-yard loss leading to a field goal attempt. Um, Alan Michael Cash was able to block it. That was the play of the game in my mind. Um, you block a field goal like that. Uh, the Casey Barth, their kicker, I don't think I think he'd made 16 in a row, so he's not a kicker that was low-balling it. Um, a lot of times bad kickers might not get enough elevation on it, but um, Cash made a great play, and then the defense really got off the field, and three points is... I don't really need to say anything. They gave up three points and a half. That's, that's good defense right there. I think the important thing about it is that, you know, this win didn't save the season by any stretch of the imagination. It's been talked about a lot lately that, um, you know, perhaps there are some state fans that would rather beat Carolina than be in a bowl game or something like that. I don't think that's the way that anybody should be looking at it. You know, obviously going to a bowl game is better. So it didn't save the season, but it sure did help to take a lot of the sting away from, uh, you know, how this season went. It'll help a lot in the off season. Without a doubt. Um, I sat with a buddy of mine during the game, and, and uh, we sat, I believe we were in the north end zone, and there were a ton of Carolina fans in the uh, in the student section in the north end zone. Way to go, students, by the way. Um, anyway, as the uh, clock ran off, as uh, NC State kneeled on the ball, and all the Carolina fans are rushing for the exits, um, it it was complete bliss to be able to wave to them, hang over the wall, and, and say goodbye. I'm surprised they were there that late. Usually Carolina fans leave if there's above a 40% chance of them losing with so much as five minutes or less remaining. So I was shocked to see them hang on that long. That's a good point. That's a very good point, by the way. All right, we're going to move on a little bit. Uh, go ahead, Coop. Uh, well, one thing I want to know, and you know, you both jump in on this, what kind of self-assessment do you think this team and this coaching staff is going to have to make now that the season's over moving forward into next season? 
you know, I, I really – it's hard to say. It's so soon after the season is over. You know, obviously there's going to be a little bit of a time where everybody just kind of takes a breath and, and recovers. Um, you know, every year I think you need to, to look at yourself, look at your coaching staff, look at your players, and kind of make some, make some judgments about those and then make some decisions on where to go forward. Um, you know, it's tough. This year was really tough because of injuries. The defense, a lot of people are going to say that defensive coordinator Mike Archer needs to go. I'm not necessarily on that bandwagon. Um, I think things have to improve if he's going to stick around. Um, the thing that I think NC State maybe needs to work on the most in the offseason is special teams. Um, the field position that opposing teams had all year killed NC State uh, time and again. Just to, to give the ball up and, uh, and, and allow teams to have great field position the entire game really hurt, and, and they're going to have to fix that. So who knows whether any actual changes will be made, but they definitely need to look at things. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that, and I, you know, I, I think it's something that will be done. And obviously, we'll all uh, pray for a good recovery here for offensive coordinator Dana Bible, because um, that obviously could have some impact on what the coaching staff looks like next season. Um, just in some other news, real quick today, George Bryan, uh, tight end George Bryan, was named first team All ACC today, and Willie Young was uh, second team on uh, in the ACC. So that's kind of where uh, things got left here with the ACC with the end of the football season. All right, guys. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, if Sudge will have us, I don't know. She's giving me a look right now. Anyway, uh, thanks again for listening, and keep checking back. You're listening to WKNC 88.1, Eye on the Triangle. I'm Seja Hindi. For today's episode, we are actually doing stuff a little bit differently. Instead of our VIP segment, we're going to have an extended here this segment with some clips from Wendover Open Mic Night. And the Wendover Editor-in-Chief is actually in the studio with us today and will be giving us a little bit of commentary. Also, to go back to a point that Derek brought up really quickly, um, the Carolina fans were in the north end zone and, you know, in various student sections because actually athletics sold tickets um, for this game in particular because it was Thanksgiving break before the lottery. Um, But just kind of a quick point of clarification. We'll start off with Community Canvas and then we'll move on to hear this. Community Canvas on Eye on the Triangle. Your local arts news. It's high time Community Canvas explore a different sort of art, theater. And for a great example of good theater, we need look no further than the Burning Coal Theater located in downtown Raleigh. The Burning Coal Theater aspires to produce theater that is both seen and experienced. The website informs us that they emphasize visceral, poignant works performed with great energy and minimalist production values. I sat down with some of the members of the Burning Coal Company to talk about the theater, the area, and the upcoming production of Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing. If you would just please all introduce yourselves and how long you've been at Burning Coal Theater. I'm Jen Sahanik, and I've been working with Burning Coal for probably about four years now, about four or five years. My name is Emily Rainey, and I've been with Burning Coal for about 12 years. And I'm James Anderson, and I've been around about two and a half years. If you would talk a little bit about, I know the Burning Coal has a very specific mission. If you can just talk about your interpretation of what Burning Coal provides to the community. 
Yeah. Burning Coal, uh, one one word that certainly sticks out for me in Burning Coal's mission is visceral as well as engaging. And um, and the plays that Burning Coal chooses are daring, um, politically resonant, and they have something to say both about our local community as well as our world. Um, and and uh, that can be both aesthetically uh, as well as politically or otherwise. There, there is a burning coal company um, that that works together, um, and as as well uh, company members who uh, who are a part of that team. And then there are also guest artists. So you sign on show by show, okay. um, but then there is also a, a core company. And we're all company members, which means you're involved in one or two productions a year, usually. And you have to help out with the other productions to go watch the other shows mm -hmm. and just su support Burning Coal. And that's one or two out of how many? Five this year. Five, five a season. Two are in rep, and then there's also a Wait Till You See This uh, series as well. How many people that are in the company carry other jobs as well? I'd say the majority. The majority of yeah. people. Mm -hmm. We all do this pretty much for the love of it. Uh -huh. I think we have two people... Usually there. every show there's about two people maybe brought in from, not always, not as a rule, but yeah, I think sometimes there's like one or two professional, not that we're not professional, right. we all are, but who are, are they're doing it as a living. So let's talk about the upcoming show, which will run from December 3rd to December 20th. The company does a Shakespeare play every year, usually around... So this year's Shakespeare play is Much Ado About Nothing. You want to tell us a little bit about the play? It is an absolutely beautifully whimsical piece that takes a look at um, at love and how we find it. Um, uh, mature love is also that that, that young puppy love um, and the wit and whimsy of it all. Do we want to get into the piece? This is uh, Beatrice and Benedict's first meeting after after the men returned from war. So they have so Beatrice and Benedict knew each other prior to the war, um, and and now it is their it is their first battle of wits upon that upon that return. If Signor Leonardo be her father, she would not have his head on her shoulders for all Messina as like him as she is. I wonder that you should still be talking, Signor Benedict. Nobody marks you. What, my dear Lady Disdain? Are you yet living? Is it possible that Disdain should die while she has such meat food to feed it as Signor Benedict? Courtesy itself must convert to Disdain when you come in her presence. Then is courtesy a turncoat? But it is certain I am loved of all ladies, only you excepted. And mm. I would I could find in my heart that I had not a hard heart, for truly I love none. A dear happiness to women. They would else have been troubled with a pernicious suitor. But I thank God and my cold blood I am of your humor for that. I had rather hear my dog bark at a crow than a man swear he loves me. God, keep your ladyship still in that mind so some gentleman or other shall scape a predestined scratched face. Scratching cannot make it worse, and for such a face as yours were. Well, you are a rare parrot teacher. A bird of my tongue is better than a beast of yours. I would my horse have the speed of your tongue and so good a continuer. Well, but keep your way, a god's name. I have done. You always end with a jade's trick. I know you of old. Okay, so that's a scene from Much Ado About Nothing. And Shakespeare's just so good at that sort of crude dialogue between man and woman. 
Am I correct there? That that's really one of the things he does well? Repartee, um, as well as, as this play is very much about a battle of wits. And, and you will hear um, uh, characters constantly one-upping each other in a contest. It's like that, it's like that hand game with one hand that constantly uh-huh. goes above another. Right. Up and up and up and up. So you guys have all done Shakespeare before? Yes. yes. And how do you feel about this one as opposed to the ones you might have done in the past? Anything in particular stand out about it? It's hard. <laughs> <laughs> They're always hard at first. Yeah, this is the probably the largest uh, Shakespearean role that I've, I've ever done in my career. Oh. Um, and this guy is really intelligent. He's very uh, witty. And his brain just goes a mile a minute. And it, that's kind of hard to do because you have to break it apart and then put it back together again and make sure it's happening in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's been a really big challenge for me. And how about the diction? Well, you've got you've to pronounce the words because they're beautiful. And, I mean, Shakespeare is a poet also, and his language is gorgeous. And plus, everything's written in a meter. But you also have to make it sound like you're really having a conversation. Right. But you can't get too natural, and that's something Emily in rehearsal a lot of says. You know, she'll say, you're naturalizing, which is you can't try to make it too slangy because it is Shakespeare, mm-hmm. and it's a celebration of language. And what something that's really interesting about Much Ado About Nothing in particular is all of Shakespeare's plays have verse poetry as well as prose. Um, and Much Ado About Nothing is primarily prose, which is very unusual. It's usually primarily verse, and then the um, and then the and then the clown characters in uh-huh. Shakespeare frequently have the prose. But interestingly enough, all the characters in Much Ado About Nothing have significant prose, and you would think that that would indicate that Much Ado About Nothing comes early in Shakespeare's writing career, but to the contrary, it actually comes later uh, in his career. And I think that's something that's really fascinating, um, just about uh, just about his trajectory as, also, as well as the play itself. Mm-hmm. Is it easier to say work two jobs and be able to support yourself here than it might be somewhere else? I feel like there, there is not the fighting. The there's not the fighting to survive here mm. uh, that that drains and saps your energy that there is in New York uh-huh. or L.A. and even it's, to a certain extent in Chicago. You audition can, after audition after audition, and even just the transportation, like of and, getting to the job, and the sheer volume of actors that live in New York. You know, you're up against people that are better than you of your own caliber and people that are just beginning and you're all in the same pot. And uh, it becomes or at least for me, it became making decisions on how my career was going to be bettered versus um, artistic uh, choices and uh, doing things for 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 wanting to do a character like I would in New York, I would never have been cast as Benedict. Um, if I would have been, it would have been in some warehouse production that was no bigger than this studio uh-huh. in the lower depths of a Brooklyn, you know, tenement neighborhood, and nobody would come and see it. Right? You know, anybody that you know, no agents, no casting directors, that kind of thing that could further my career, nobody would come and see it. That pressure of making it as an actor isn't really there here. The quality of of artists in this triangle it's amazing i mean really i think just as good as new york city there's just not as many although there's a lot there's an unbelievable number of theaters 
in the triangle at this point. Thank you guys for coming in. December 3rd through December 20th, Much Ado About Nothing at Burning Coal on Polk Street downtown. And where can people buy tickets? www.burningcoal.org or by calling 834-4001. And that was Community Canvas on Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. We're going to take a short break, and when we get back, Helen Deere, Editor-in-Chief of Wendover, is going to talk to us a little bit about Open Mic Night, and we'll play some clips from that, so stay tuned. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Hear this on Eye on the Triangle. Your local music news. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Like we talked about earlier, Helen Deere is with us in the studio today. Helen, how are you? I'm good, Seja. How are you? Good. Helen, why don't you tell us a little bit about Open Mic Night and kind of the preparations and stuff that went into that? Okay, well, like Sasha said, my name's Helen Deere, and I'm the editor of Wendover, NCC's literary and visual magazine. So last Sunday, November 22nd, Wendover held its third annual Open Mic Night in Caldwell Lounge. And Open Mic Night is an evening of music and reading, and it's an opportunity for students, faculty, and staff to read or perform their creative work. It was an open call, and we had a pretty broad range of experience and different kinds of performances. We had 15 performers and about 70 people come out for the event, which was a lot more than last year. So that was pretty exciting. I was really pleased that so many people came out to this literary event. Since NC State is primarily thought of as a science and engineering school, sometimes the literary presence on campus is ignored or forgotten. That's why events like this are so important in our community. Tonight we'll be playing a selection of the reading and music performed at Open Mic Night. First up, you'll hear a selection of Kelly Reed's narrative, Charlie. Kelly Reed is an alumna of NC State and a current KNC DJ. After that, you'll hear Amanda Garner's poem, The Sight of the Sea. Amanda's a, a senior in English. After that, you'll hear Kevin Gield's poem, The Living Dead. Kevin is currently a junior majoring in social work. And after that, you'll hear two poems read by Celeste Dokes, House in Vegas and A Harley Dream. Celeste is a creative writing graduate student here at State, and she also TAs um, a section of English 289, which is Intro to Poetry. And Celeste's poems are some of my favorite from uh, that evening. I enjoy reading poetry a lot, but I definitely enjoy hearing it spoken more. I think that really brings the poems to life, so Celeste did a great job with that. And after Celeste's work, you'll hear Christopher Reinhardt's music on the Hammer Dulcimer. Christopher is a freshman in art and design, and I wasn't really sure what the Hammer Dulcimer was until that evening, Um, but it's a really beautiful instrument, and he did a great job, I think. And after that, you'll hear Jason Honeycutt's acoustic guitar uh, rendition of Music Box, and Jason's a senior in anthropology. After that, another musical performance from the Gonzo Symphonic Presents, which is kind of a cross-genre blues band with um, whistling and clapping and singing, and it's just all around uh, a lot of fun to listen to. And um, finally, you'll hear Lisa Cimarelli's two poems, Empty Calories and He Writes, I Write, and Lisa's a junior in creative writing. Okay, now on to the clips. I found um, this person over in Pullen Park, He's a pretty amazing guy, and um, what I'm going to read you will tell you a little bit about him. I'm going to read, try and read two different sections. We'll see how it goes, and we'll see how I'm doing on time. The name of this piece is called Charlie. The ups, downs, ins, and outs, November 4th, he says as he picks at his brittle fingernail with the blunt edge of a miniature Swiss Army knife. October seemed like it wasn't but two weeks long. The time goes by so fast, he says sitting in the olive green salvaged office chair his clothes almost swallow him up minus the two knobby knees poking through his khaki pants 
His eyes are hidden behind the thick-rimmed brown glasses, framed by his bushy, bond white eyebrows and a blue baseball cap. When I was a young fellow, I used to think Christmas would never come, and now they're so close together. The months go by faster than they used to. We used to get a new pair of overalls about once a year. His lively voice begins to slow as his glance focuses on the falling leaves across the grass. Then we'd have to patch them and patch them and patch them. Charlie Baker was born in 1918. He is a 91-year-old father of six, grandfather of 15, a retired tobacco farmer, and a God-fearing, Jesus-loving man. He married his 15-year-old bride, Blanny Wood, at the age of 19. He's owned three small stores on Highway 42, worked at Carolina Power and Light, preached in fields across Harnett County, started Piney Grove Baptist Church, and put in 26 years at Wicks Yumberlard. But for the past 27 years, Charlie Baker has been working at Poland Park, a whimsical city park located in the nook of two intersecting hills in Raleigh, North Carolina. When he first started working at Poland Park in 1982, he operated the Carousel, a glorious circa 1900 ride built in Germantown, Pennsylvania by an Italian master carver. The rotating fantasy land boasts 52 animals and two chariots, complete with a Wurlitzer 125 military band organ that, date back, that dates back to the early 1900s. The attractive ride is loud and colorful. When the ride starts up, the lights in the top beam bright, the organ pipes begin to play a fanfare, the carousel turns up and down, and the combination of tigers, bears, horses, monkeys, and lions bob with the song. Charlie Baker didn't stay past two years at the carousel. Wasn't for me, he says. He worked one day at the concession stand selling hot dogs and sodas and couldn't bear to work one more. Bored to tears, he says. However, he put in a good stint on the CP Huntington train, a miniature train that is the one-third size replica of, his, of the historical 1863 Danforth Cook locomotive, a train that helped force the Transcontinental Railroad. The miniature train has seven cars, an ornament-like engine car that blows a mean whistle, and it's the highlight of the park. It travels a scenic route around the pond through a miniature railroad crossing at the sidewalk and even passes through a 12-foot-long stone tunnel. At noon, after lunch, there is always a line for the train rides. Charlie Baker worked on the train for 15 years, and in the end, it just didn't work out, he explains. Got bored again. So for the last 10 years, he has operated the Kitty Boats, a small ride that sits inside a tall black chain-link fence just in front of the train's boarding area. The boat ride has no history, although the earliest records of its incarnation show up on a 1960s city planning map. The small fiberglass boats have wooden steering wheels that spin freely on a pin. Each boat has a bell, but not every bell has a string so it can be rung. The boats sit in a 15-wide brick pool filled two feet deep with muggy water. The old gray mare ain't what she used to be, Charlie says as he looks at the bottom of the pool of water. There's a thick reddish-brown film on the bottom from months of dust, leaves, and pine needles. They haven't cleaned it this year yet. So part of my story, and like I said, it's still a very long work in progress, is that after next week, before Thanksgiving, the park is going to close, and it's not going to reopen next year, so Charlie Baker won't have his job. All right, this first poem I'm going to read to you, um, 
I wrote after a beach trip that I took with some friends that are here tonight, so I'm excited that they get to hear it. It's called The Side of the Sea. The rain came down like glass shards, stinging the exposed, sunburnt skin and soaked our rainbow-colored beach towels. We sat, huddled together, like shells that had been rejected from the ocean. We dug at the sand with our toes, burrowing deeper, saying nothing, and stared out across the empty sea that staggered like a drunk. And then you stood, dropping your towel. I watched as your breathing sank into rhythm with the tide, and your legs carried you to the cusp of Poseidon's breast. You stood and watched the sand shapes shift, pulling you down, changing you. And then your hands flailed like tentacles above your head as your body crashed into the waves. So um, this first one is called The Living Dead. And I think I wrote this earlier this semester in my poetry class with Dorian Locks. All right. The stench of rotting flesh fills the air as the undead army staggers toward me. They are shaking like crackheads going through withdrawal. But it's not the rock that they want, no. These zombies thirst for blood of the innocent and they hunger for havoc. Their corroding corpses have no eyes to see or ears to hear, so they don't even know that they're dead. The light is bright where I'm standing, so I can see the sword of the king by the tree. I pick up the blade, ready to wield it, but my gaze is drawn to the reflection in the steel. I see the scars that cover my arms and face. My past is part of the living dead. It's dedicated to a friend of mine named Carlos, um, who, thank God, is still present for me to dedicate this to him. Uh, it's called House in Vegas. Over pad time noodles and an old Mariah Carey ballad, my black kin doll confesses he has one. You know, a house in Vegas. I wonder if it's a ranch or a gigantic Cape Cod with an enclosed patio, a porch swing where we can sip bourbon on the rocks, and maybe even a remote-controlled two-car garage where you can store the Navigator and the Mini Coupe. I imagine you will be the envy of all your suburban friends with your cool air that cool, your central air that cools like a tough Chicago winter. This will be a respite, a retreat, a resort of sorts, where we can leisurely watch TV from daytime to primetime with no distractions besides the occasional tick of the cherry oak grandfather clock. But despite what I've dreamed, you mean blood tests every six to eight months and the constant worry of a sneeze or sniffle, and somehow this house in Vegas begins to sink at the seams. Its windows become empty stairs, praying for just one more Hail Mary. And instead of adding a sauna or a pool room, you will be watching your medicine cabinet fill with many brown plastic bottles. Play close attention to your T4 count. You will carry a pillbox marked with the days of the week as if a silent countdown is happening without your permission. All right, and the last piece I'm going to do is um, a funny piece based on someone I saw on a motorcycle. I don't know if that's legal. And it's got some, also some more X-rated language in here, whatever. Okay, um, it's called A Harley Dream. 
He is hot fudge topping, dripping over shiny silver piping of Harley. Tattoos decorate bulky cocoa arms like freckles on a map that make me want to sail the world. My eyes drive north to an avocado-colored bandana that probably covers a slick bald head, shining like daddy's Sunday shoes. Juicy lips peek out from under a broom-like mustache filled with diamond black and diamond gray rattlesnakes. The ones who strike silently prey on a girl like me. Your bike careens down the highway, which becomes a long strip of salty bacon that stretches on no end in sight. Past Stella's Skyline Cafe, where the other Daytona bikers convene, attached to their stringy-haired wives with tugboats and dos Eki beer bottles inked on breasts or ankles. I wonder if you would queen me your Cinderella, rescue me from a life of torturous toil. We could traverse down 95, stopping along at Scottsmore, rest at Motel 69, where a blazing neon orange sign winks at us. Our room would be filled with pot smoke, strewn Bacardi bottles, and various leather sex contraptions. I would dye my Afro-violet, get everything below the navel pierced, only call my parents at rest stops where the bathrooms reeks of pee piss left longer than the scribbled in call me numbers. We would continue this for days, eventually reaching the nape of Miami's neck where I would notice my monthly moon marker was missing. You'd grumble grisly objections, but deep down I'd know we'd just turn right back around, repeating our reckless roadbound wanderlust. I try to quit the cancer sticks, liquor, appetites for threesomes, and settle into the newness of my belly full with a carbon copy you. I wake from this dream rocking, turning into the thin vein dirt road of my temporary new home, thinking, what if I'd sprung from the car, mounted myself behind you, pressed my breast to your back, the gas fumes tickling my nose hairs, the vibration of the machine pleading, your muscles molding my heart, who would care as long as those yellow dashes would skip down the road, dotting and dashing like Morse code forever. So I'm going to share some, uh, some poems I wrote. Uh, the first one, I actually had a conversation with a colleague about the romantics and about the American romantics, especially Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, so this is one attempt to make a short poem in a poesque kind of fashion. Um, so if you're familiar with that, try to follow along. But this is The Caged Bird Sings. I'll just sit here on my bed and stare outside all day. I'll look outside my window and dream my day away. Some friend may knock upon my door or call and shake my slumber. Surprise, surprise, the locks have changed and likewise has my number. I could not take it anymore, the lights, the noise, the cars. I hate the stores and houses, though I do enjoy the bars. I could go out into the yard, meander in the sun. I may get out of here someday, but I fear my race is run. I'd say the view is not the best, but I sometimes hear the birds. I often see a man walk by, he sometimes shares a word. Without this bed and window, I'm sure I would go crazy. You can do your silly job, I'd rather just be lazy. I'll just sit here on my bed and stare outside all day, for I've killed too many men and I've been locked away. So that's the caged bird sings. So I'm doing two more poems. Uh, the next one is actually a project for a British literature class. Uh, Big fan of the 18th century. Um, Dr. Uh, Jonathan Swift, if you're familiar with Swift, he wrote a poem called The Ladies' Dressing Room. Uh, this is a response to his ladies' dressing room. 
Um, and this is called The Loving Thoughts of Dr. S's Reasonable Streffen. Uh, keeping the style of the 18th century, I didn't want to call out Jonathan Swift too badly because he may get mad at me. Um, so this is Dr. S's Reasonable Streffen. Oh, Cilia, Cilia, be my muse. Your perfect lips, your sparkling blues. A dress so fine only angels could wear. Your smooth round face, your flowing blonde hair. Such perfect legs I'm sure have never been seen. Ending at your feet, which must be pristine. Her beauty compares, and God would agree, with no woman on earth but with Aphrodite. I could be her Othello. I only read to act three. But I know I love her, and I pray she loves me. Or Troilus and Crusader, two lovers apart. I did not read the whole thing, but she's close to my heart. So I don't know the classics, but don't think that I'm dumb. I've gone to some plays that I thought sounded fun, but by intermission, I found it a rumor. I just felt to see the Shakespeare guy's humor. I must know Cilia, I must find her heart. More important to me, find her legs spread apart. I know the rules of courting, and by them I've, by them I've abided. Now I can only hope that my love's unrequited. So I may not know what every word I use means, but it sounds much better spoken passionately. I will plot all day, I must make a plan. Cilia will love me, I must be her man. Her dressing room, I will lie in wait within. Surprise her, I will, and there our love will begin. I will lie on her sheets and look at her clothes. I will find out the process of creating a rose. And when she returns from her night on the town, I will confess my love and will then lay her down. Now I must admit, this is my first try at verse. I thought of these lines many times I've rehearsed. If Celia could read them, I know she would admit, Streffen, Streffen, Streffen gives me fits. I will not write again until she says yes. I know she will love me. I will try my best. And if she says no, what will I do? I ask you that question. I do the same as you. Slander her name all over town. Call her a whore, call her a clown. Say that her beauty, in fact, is not real. Say once she saw me, she begged me to feel. If she does not begin to instantly please me, I'll tell every man that Celia is easy. I will find a great poet in the same league as me. He will write of her room and tell my story. I'll find a smart man who knows how to write. I will then spread his verse to each man in sight. Through his clever words, I will create a monster, paint a woman so ugly that no man will want her. But why think of that? I know she will see that I love her and that she loves me. I know she wants love, for I've oft seen her weeping from outside of window on a tree where I'm peeping. Someday we will marry, this I do know, but enough of my writing, to her dressing room I go. I'll be playing two songs tonight, both I've written myself. I'm playing a hammered dulcimer this evening, and it's a, uh, originally a Persian instrument, but now it's really popular in the Appalachian region. A lot of people equate it with Celtic music, even though it's not really. But, uh, so, enjoy. I've been playing for about eight months or so.
This one's called Music Box. Uh, again, not a real successful guy, but uh, a little bit more upbeat. So. It's the box out of Nashville, Tennessee Where I couldn't fetch a dime for a listening fee My audience, I couldn't keep in retention Right now, I can't afford to pay attention If I finish this song before I go to bed With any luck tomorrow, it might bring me some bread Instead of waking up hungry, I can wake up fed But if it doesn't happen soon, I'm gonna wake up dead the Days go by so slow And the years go by so fast And I won't make a living Rolling down this rusty track I said the days go by so slow And the years Go by so fast And I won't make a living Rolling down this rusty track As a young man my mama told my dad He didn't pass me out of town That she wished he had Could've taken the time to try and teach me then But he was sipping Jack Daniels and guzzling gin Been hard years picking this crash box Had a mansion to show but she changed the locks My fingers ain't light enough to lift the clock So I'm rattling across the country in my music box the days go by so slow And the years go by so fast I won't make a living rolling down this rusty track Now the days go by so slow and the years go by so fast I won't make a living rolling down this rusty track Play Carnegie Hall in the Grand Ole Opry in a Ritz Hotel before the doorman stopped and said it ain't real music if you're playing outside, but a dollar in the box doesn't hurt my pride. Life on the road is a lonely way since my TikTok's spinning back to yesterday. The sun shines brighter than it does now and my watch moves slower, don't ask me how. The days go by so slow and the years go by so fast. And I won't make a living rolling down this rusty track. I said the days go by so slow and the years go by so fast. And I won't make a living rolling down this rusty track. All right, so we're called the Gonzo Symphonic Presents because we both, well, I say both talking about me and Alex, but actually all of us like Hunter S. Thompson. So that's kind of where it started from. I know you're all just dying to know why I'm in a bow tie and a tux, right? <laughs> the, uh, the Raleigh Symphony was performing with NC State Choir earlier this evening. It was magnificent. With the echoes of the ghettos and the gallows in this atmosphere To the edge of human knowledge taught in college like it was history But it's clear that we all fear for our lives amid this industry Just like you Just like me Every finger at you Point back at me We tell lies We justify Don't hurt nobody, can nobody come on me? 
words slip from my lips how they drift and catch me drifting with the passers-by passing by talking lines with crooked spines no one wants to miss reminisce on only second best banking bribes on bets to procure the needs of number one simon didn't say to do that but i did it anyway fighting crime on my dime never favored love or got me paid we can't find the fault in the wake of failed relations so we plug our ears and pump our chest to play along with all the rest but just, just like you just like me, identity has of a third degree. We just go with the status quo. As long as we keep our heads down, we just might keep our jobs. From our singing lips, what the fuck? I'll push my luck, I'll set a rapid pace of style and grace with overtones that you can't embrace. Try to break through walls and drop some bombs and leave without a trace so we can stop the silence of the violence and your vacant stares. You're the one standing in your way. I'm working it out. Y'all ain't heard all I got to say. It's time to get out. Where's that handyman going today? What happens when your life is a waste? I start to freak out. Lisa Cimarelli. 
I'm a junior and I just switched my major to creative writing. Okay, let's see. Oh, and a request for snaps because this is my first open mic night and I haven't heard any snaps. So I'm a little, okay, at the end, that would be, yeah. Um, <laughs> my first poem is something I wrote this semester. It's called Empty Calories and it was inspired by a uh, lunch table conversation at the atrium. All right. We chat about our latest theme party, our latest project from Professor H. We ooze of cool. We sip our cool iced coffees and eat our cool vegetarian dishes, dishing out our latest gossip and our newest cool artsy accessory. And we eat up every word, every damn word that leaves us craving, hungry every time we rise and famished every time we sit back down. And the second one is inspired by a time I spent at the library. Really exciting. Um, it's called He Writes, I Write. Cornered by the knowledge that surrounds us, we immerse ourselves in solitude. Our breathing is the only acceptance to wait in the puddles of our minds. One, the AC unit floods the eardrums like an ocean tide. Two, we find a whisper in the distant sea of knowledge we wish to possess. Three, the whistling wind seeps through window cracks that let us escape into ourselves. And we sit, cornered by books laid out in stacks. He writes, I write. Stillness flows from three to one. And those are some clips from Wendover's open mic night on Eye on the Triangle. And remember that tomorrow, December 1st, is actually our deadline for submitting to Wendover. So check out our website, ncsu.edu slash Wendover, for more information on how to submit. And thanks for listening tonight. And that wraps up another episode of Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1 FM Raleigh. Looks like we've run out of time, actually. And so make sure to check out wknc.org slash blog for our Wolfpacker of the Week segment, which will be an online exclusive this week. And make sure to send us suggestions, comments, anything you want to talk about to public affairs at wknc.org.